Well, good morning once again, my friends. And though I may look like your pastor and I sound like your pastor, I am actually W. Philip Keller. And I'm here this morning to share with you on the 23rd Psalm based on the experiences I had as a sheep farmer early in my career. Your pastor did ask for me, though, to send along this message that your brother Andrew's test came back negative. And so we thank God with him and with his family for the Lord's mercy upon him. Well, our format this morning is uh, very simple. We're going to go line by line through this wonderful psalm in your note sheet that has been provided to you. You'll see that there. And uh, we'll go as long as we have time for this this morning. So let's, uh, let's begin. Where David writes, The Lord is my shepherd. When I read David's first words, immediately a series of questions comes to, to my mind. Who is this Lord? What is his character? What credentials does he have that I should yield my life to him as my shepherd, my owner, my, my manager? Can I, can I trust him? David, as you know, began his working life as a shepherd tending the the sheep in his father's house. In fact, when the prophet Samuel came to anoint him as king, he wasn't home. He was up in the surrounding hills with the flock. David loved being a shepherd, and he knew uh, more than any other man that the well-being of a given sheep depended on the man who cared for him. Not every shepherd is a good one. I owned sheep for a number of years, as, as I, I said, and, and, and cared for them. Uh, I remember one of the sheep ranches that was adjacent to our own property, which was owned, sadly, by an incompetent and very cruel man. He had no business owning animals of any kind. And I remember looking out in the field someday at the sheep that were in his field with their noses pressed up against the fence, looking into, into our fields where our sheep were grazing on the richest pasture land, and the look on their faces and the sad bleating that they, that they made. If, if they could talk, they would have said, oh, rescue us from this cruel owner. He's bad. No, they didn't say that. But, but now back to the question at, at hand. Who is the Lord? And why should I trust him? Well, David didn't know the half of it when he wrote these words, but you and I know who fulfills these words. Jesus Christ does, who said in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. And then Jesus explains why he is good. He said, he's not like the sheep who comes to, or like the, the thief who comes to steal and kill and destroy. No, Jesus says, I have come to, to give life. And to give it abundantly. And then Jesus says, I'm not, the, I'm not like the hired hand who sees the wolf coming and then abandons the flock. Jesus isn't that way at all. In fact, he says, I will lay down my life for the sheep. My sheep know me and I know them and they hear my voice and, and they will follow me. Now, how do we know that Jesus' words are true? Can we know? Well, Yes. By looking at Jesus' life and his words and his sacrifice as described in the scriptures. We, we can know this. I've, I've studied Jesus uh, uh, for most of my life. And, and of all humans that have ever lived, this man is the most balanced. 
This man is, is the most loving being to have ever entered into the human race. Though born amongst the most disgusting circumstances, laid in a manger at his birth, we think of that as such a sentimental, and oh, isn't that a lovely thought? Well, no, a manger is one of the most disgusting things that there is. He grew up in a, a poor working family, and yet he bore himself with the greatest dignity and, and assurance. And though he enjoyed no special advantages of employment or, or education, his entire philosophy that he modeled before the human race was the highest standard of human conduct ever set before humanity. He had no vast economic assets. He had no military or political power. And yet no man has impacted the human race for the good as Jesus Christ has. He has changed the lives of those for 21 centuries now and, and brought out of them lives of nobility and honor as no one else. And then he proved his worth and his love and his goodness by laying his life down for us on that cruel cross and then conquering death by raising from that grave. With David, I will say, forever say, the Lord is my shepherd. You say that, my friends. Have you been able to come to that place where you recognize the Lord's ownership over you? And like me, have you found in Him the freedom, and the purpose, the adventure of letting Him lead your life? The Lord is my shepherd. Next, David says, I shall not want. Now, what does David mean by this? It's important that we understand this. David is not saying that that, that believers in God will never experience lack or need. It's imperative that we have a, a balanced view of the Christian life. All God's saints from the very beginning until now have experienced times of personal privation and hardship. Jesus warned us that in this world we would have trouble, we would have tribulation. One of the most ridiculous assertions that is believed by many in the church and outside the church today is that if you are blessed of God, you will not suffer. You can tell a person who's blessed by looking at their bank account or looking at their health or looking at how, how many people like them. Well, if you believe that or you have been taught that, then my friend, you have been deceived. David himself experienced great adversity and molestation at the hands of King Saul for years before he became the shepherd of Israel. What does David mean then? To not want means to be utterly contented and satisfied in the presence of the shepherd. And if you have the good shepherd with you, then you'll crave nothing else. You'll need nothing more. Psalm 23, as a, as, a, as a whole, when you read it, tells a story, a story that I reenacted year after year in my sheep ranch, where uh, at the beginning of each year in the spring, we would take our, our herd of sheep from the valley floor, where our ranch was, on into the mountain meadows. And as we took that journey, which took several months, our sheep would graze, and they would grow thick coats of wool, and they would have babies, that's what David is describing here in, in this psalm, a journey from the stream-fed valleys on through the dangerous mountain passes, the valley of the shadow of death, on into the mountain meadows. David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That's what we called those mountain meadows, the tableland. Spanish, the Spanish used to refer to the high plateaus as mesas, which means table. Now, 
thinking of that journey, do you really believe on a journey that lasts that many months and, and covers that many miles that there will be no hardship suffered? Why? <laughs> it's ridiculous to think that way. The sheep and the shepherds, too, will experience great hardship. Pests and predators and disease and rustlers and heat and cold and hunger. Flash floods, rock slides, I've seen it all. But all those things the sheep will endure if the shepherd is near. All those things the sheep will accept. He will say, I shall not want if the shepherd is there. So how do you tell if a follower of Christ has this same spirit? I'll tell you in a word, contentment. Contentment will be the hallmark of any man or woman that places their affairs in the hands of Christ. Oh, there are many believers who say, the Lord is my shepherd. But they do not believe it. Not really. And the proof of this is that they cannot go on to say, I shall not want. You look at their lives and they're desperately looking anywhere outside the faith to find their peace. I call these half-Christians, carnal Christians. I used to have sheep like that. I called them fence crawlers. I once owned a ewe, and she was the most beautiful of animals. Thick, thick coat of wool, a head that was bright and clean, with, with beautiful eyes, and she bore sturdy lambs that grew rapidly. But despite all of this, she had one pronounced fault. She was always discontented. She was always restless. She was a, a fence crawler. No matter what field we were in, she would, would walk along the fence looking for some hole to poke herself through. And, and, and she was never happy in, in my care. And time and time again, I would have to go and fetch her from some faraway field or extract her from some bramble bush that she had gotten trapped in or even climb out into a cliff because she had put herself there. But then the problem worsened. For she taught the other sheep the same tricks and pretty soon they became just as adept at escaping as she. Do you remember the, the Hebrew spies, how they returned from, from looking at the promised land? And they poisoned the entire congregation with their own restlessness and fears? Well, that was the sheep. And after putting up with her perverseness for several weeks, I finally realized that to save the flock, I couldn't keep her. I could not allow one obstinate, restless you to, to ruin the whole ranch operation. And so one morning, I took out my killing knife and I butchered her. It's a, a stern warning to us, to the carnal Christian, to the backslider, to the, the fence crawler, the one who wants one foot in the kingdom and, and one foot in, in the world, that in short order you might be cut down if you're not careful. Far better to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then David says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, in case you haven't figured it out by now, you need to know that sheep of all animals are <laughs> the, the animals that require the most attention and the most meticulous care of them all. It is not an accident that God chose to compare human beings to sheep. The behavior of sheep and humans is very similar. Our instinct for running in mobs, yes? Our fear and our timidity. Our, our stupidity and our stubbornness and the perverse habits that we have are all traits that we share with sheep. Now, from my years of shepherding, I came to realize that a sheep will not lie down and rest unless four conditions are met. And they are these. 
Because they are such fearful and timid creatures, a sheep will not lie down until she is free of fear. Because a, a, a sheep is a social animal. Secondly, a sheep will not lie down until she is free of friction with all the other sheep in the herd. Thirdly, if tormented by flies or parasites or pests, sheep will not lie down. And of course, fourthly, if she is hungry, a sheep will not rest. So take fear, for example. Sheep are the most timid and, and fearful of creatures. And if they encounter what they perceive to be danger of any kind, their only response is to run. In the course of time, I came to realize as I watched this behavior that the only thing that could settle my sheep down was my presence in the field with them, day or night, that somehow looking at me as their master and protector helped calm them down. Which, as we said in a, a, a moment ago, it's the presence of Christ, our shepherd, with us that also calms our fears. There is nothing like Christ's presence. And if in encountering something that unsettles me, I turn to the Lord in that moment, so many times his peace washes back in. The Bible says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and love and self-control. But also tension in the herd can unsettle a sheep, just as there is a pecking order among chickens, so did you realize there is a budding order among sheep. And if it gets out of hand, and oftentimes it comes down to a big old ewe that thinks she's all that, and starts pushing all the younger and smaller sheep around, well, if that happens, an agitation rises within the herd. All the sheep are edgy, and they're tense. They lose weight. They're irritable. It's the same in the church, isn't it? So much foolish snobbery and, and, and petty rivalry that, that happens in the church life. Well, how, how come that person got recognized in that way? And why did that person hurt me in that way? I can't forgive them. But, as before, oftentimes just by walking into the field, all of that behavior stops. And if we would only learn as, as Christ's followers to turn to him and to look to him in those moments and call to mind his words as he taught us about how to, how to behave with each other, the first will be last and the last first. I want you to serve one another and wash one another's feet. If only we would call those things to mind, then all that pettiness will, will cease. Sheep also are, dis, are driven to distraction by pests and flies, and fleas, and gnats, and ticks, and, and a sheep that is so besieged like that will, will be up on its feet, and always stomping, and shaking its head, and even banging its head against tree trunks. It's terrible to see, and a, and a good shepherd will be mindful of the behavior of his flocks, because only the shepherd can take care of that. The sheep cannot help himself in that case. And so when the shepherd sees that type of behavior and recognizes what is happening, he has a variety of aids and ointments and dips that he can use to help relieve the sheep. Similarly, similarly in the Christian life, how often are we besieged by small annoyances and little petty things, little frustrations that, that happen to us? And what, what do we say about that? What's in our language? It's in our words. We say, I am being bugged. Well, whenever I'm being bugged, I've learned that if I can turn to the Lord, even just at that moment, and, and say that to Him and cry out to Him, and say, Lord, you see what's happening to me. I am bugged right now by, by this thing that has happened. Would you help me? Time and time again, I've experienced in my life 
that God, if he doesn't bring immediate relief, gives me a grace to cope with it. The presence of the shepherd will help us. And of course, hunger will always, always keep a sheep ill-fed and, and, and on the run, never, never at rest. I see this hunger in so many people who are outside the faith today. I have known in my life many people who are wealthy and means Famous people, leading scientists, politicians, professional people. But despite their affluence and despite their success, the prestige that they have, I can't tell you how many of these remain parched in spirit and shriveled in soul, starving inside. Meanwhile, among my Christian friends, I've known people who have suffered terrible calamity, disaster and financial distress and sickness and fear and worry and yet because their eyes were on Jesus and they knew the good shepherd there was a peace without understanding that was upon them that inspired me Hmm. the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want he next says he leads me beside quiet waters Generally speaking, when you lead a sheep from the valley to the mountain tables, the water for sheep comes from three places. It comes from dew, or it comes from deep caverns, or of course from streams and springs. Now, uh, dew, perhaps you didn't know this, but a sheep can go for weeks and weeks without actually drinking a lot of water as long as she has access to dew in the morning. And so sheep will rise very early in the day, and begin to feed. And in those early hours, if the vegetation is drenched with a lot of dew, that will suffice for the entire day for that sheep. It's, it's amazing to watch. And that's oftentimes the special, most special time of the day for me to be with my sheep, watching them. And I thought to mind as I've watched this over the years, that it reminds me of all those believers I've met who are the most serene, the most content, the most able to deal with uh, life and its perplexities. Every one of them that I've met have developed the habit of meeting with the Lord the first thing in the day, to feed on His Word. And it's in those quiet early hours where they are experiencing the Lord's peace, where they're beside quiet, still waters, that they find the strength that they need to go through the day. I've seen this so many times, I I believe it's no accident anymore. And I've read it in all the biographies of the great men and women of faith as well. Each one of them testify that their spiritual success can be linked to the the quiet time, as we call it, that time with God spent at the beginning of the day. And of course, Christ modeled this for us. The Bible tells us that he rose early in the day to meet with his Father. I commend to you this, this habit of taking from the dew of the Lord's word every day. His mercies are new every morning. Now, I was born in Kenya. I was the child of missionaries, and And I also got to observe sheep in in other places, arid places, where there wasn't a lot of groundwater. One of the things that was fascinating to see is how deep wells below the ground contained water supplies for them. Some of these wells, perhaps you've seen pictures of them, are deep wells carved into sandstone. And and you walk down in these deep caverns through, through natural ramps and find these massive pools of the cleanest, freshest water you'd ever see. And so the shepherds would lead their flock down these ramps. Now, of course, the sheep was, being a fearful animal, would not go up to the water's edge to drink. It's dark. I'm scared. So you know what the shepherd would have to do? The shepherd would strip down naked, dive into that frigid water, and bail by hand water 
bucket full after bucket full of water for the sheep to feed on. I hope, if anything, in listening to my stories today, if you've ever thought that, you know, being a shepherd would be a fun job, I hope I've dissuaded you from that idea. In the Christian life, again, you should see the parallel, my friends. Many of the places that God will lead us to and lead us through will seem dark, dangerous to us. We'll look around and we'll go, this, this can't be any good. Where have you gone, God? But if in that moment we can, can remember that God is with us, that Jesus, the Good Shepherd, is right there, closer than we even imagine, and He is very much at work expending all His energy, all His effort on our behalf, we'll feel His peace in that moment. And then God gives us springs and streams of grace all the time with which to uh, quench our thirst from. And of course, there are so many people who would refuse to drink from those waters that are right there in front of them, even if it's a crystal clear stream right there. They can see it right in front of them and see all the other sheep feeding from them, yet they will not. So many people like this who insist on running their own lives and allow the dictates of their own will to determine what it is they do. It reminds me of a bunch of sheep I saw once leading, leading them to a, a mountain stream. Can you picture this? A mountain stream fed from the snow, uh, cutting through some, some trees. It was, it was beautiful. And yet, a, a group of our sheep and some of the ewes decided to stop at a pool that was off to the path. Stopped up the whole pilgrimage to this mountain stream. And it was the smallest, dirtiest, muddy pool you've ever seen, churned up with mud and dirtied by the urine and manure of other flocks that had passed that way. But these sheep had somehow convinced themselves that this is the best possible water that they're going to get that day. Don't let that be you, my friend. Humble yourself before God. And drink from Christ. Everyone who drinks from this water, Jesus said, the water that I give will never thirst again. Well, finally we come to David, who says, he restores my soul. And some of you may be thinking, finally, we're only halfway through the psalm. But time is limited, children are restless, your stomach is probably filing lawsuits right now, demanding food. So, it's why I wrote an entire book about this, and I hope you will check it out at some point. He restores my soul. Just as we should never think that a sheep in the care of the Good Shepherd will never experience want or hurt, we should never think that a sheep in the care of the Good Shepherd will never need or require restoration. David said in so many psalms that he needed God to come and help him. He needed God's forgiveness, God's peace. Restore to me the joy of salvation, he said in one of his psalms. Psalm 42 speaks of this. David says, why are you cast down, O my soul? He talks to himself. And that language, the first time I read it, uh, caused me to laugh because there is a condition sheep can fall into uh, where it's called they're, they're cast. They're cast down. A sheep, if it accidentally rolls over on its side, can't get back up especially if it's on its back, and it's the most pitiful thing you ever see, a big fat sheep with tiny little legs flailing and bleeding pitifully. It, it's, it's quite funny. You've heard of tipping cows. Well, you can tip sheep as, as well. And the thing is, if the owner does not come along soon, that sheep will likely die. Gases are building up in its stomach, which cuts off circulation to its legs, so he's not able to move at all, which makes him a very easy meal. 
for a, a mountain lion or a bear that comes along, and the predators are always looking for a cast sheep. Why does a sheep get into this condition? Well, there, there are at least three things I've seen, and again, each of these has a spiritual parallel. First of all, the fact that sheep are always looking for a soft spot gets them into trouble. The sheep is always looking for a comfortable, a soft, rounded hollow to lay into, and invariably it tips over and then can't get back up. That's true for so many of us, most of us. We want what's comfortable. We want the easy path. We don't want what's hard. If it's going to require discipline or sacrifice, we'd prefer not to go that way. When I get to this point in my spiritual life, Jesus the Good Shepherd comes along and usually takes me to a pasture that's not so comfortable anymore. And I'll bet you could testify to some of that happening to you. A sheep will also become cast if it has too much wool. The thick wool begins to gather up burrs and mud and manure. Wool in scripture is used as a picture of too much worldliness in our life. It describes a person before they come to faith or one of those carnal Christians we were talking about. Wool is a, is a picture of a, of a person who is saying to God, my needs first, my desires, my wants before yours. Someone who is worried with accumulating things and possessions and worldly ideas and all this weighs me down. In the Old Testament, it's interesting, the high priest could not have wool on to go into the Holy of Holies. So what do we do with a sheep that has too much wool? Well, you shear them. And I want to show you a picture of what that looks like, because this is what God will do with us if we have too much wool. Watch this. <laughs> now does that look like a lot of fun yeah and yet God will do that with us if we get a little too full of ourselves uh, a third reason sheep get cast they're simply too fat they're out of shape unconditioned there's no fitness about them good shepherd will take note of that within his herd take diligent steps to be rigorous with, with rations and monitoring the, less, the, the, the grain that they have. And in the Christian life, it's very easy for us to get spiritually flabby. What does Jesus do in that case? He disciplines us. Hebrews 12 says he disciplines those he loves. It's not pleasant, but he does it because he cares for us. Because sheep are so easily cast, when I as a shepherd would find that one of my sheep was missing, it, it, it immediately... Uh, 
created some alarm inside of me. And I would think, oh dear, one of my sheep is out there and he's lost. And I would immediately get out there to find it. But it was a race against time because I knew that predators were also looking for a, a cast sheep. Which is why whenever I would find my sheep, it brought such joy to me when I found them. And I would kneel down before the sheep and help bring them over. And I'd be talking to them tenderly all the while. Now look at what you have done here. Now what am I going to do with you? Perhaps it'll help you understand that parable Jesus told of the, of the shepherd who went off to find the lost sheep. It's exactly like that. Many people have the idea, maybe some of you, that when a child of God falls into sin, that God must be so disgusted with them that they are like the black sheep if they even belong to the herd. Some of you might be thinking that right now. But my friend, it's simply not so. Jesus, our good shepherd, has exactly the same feelings of anxiety and compassion and care that I had for my cast sheep when I went after them. And it's precisely why, as you study Jesus in the Bible, and you look at how he handled broken people. He treated them with such pathos and tenderness and care. It's the way he looks at you, my friend. And the strongest of us can be cast down. If we're not careful. There's a verse in Galatians chapter 6. says, If anyone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should what? Should restore them. But do so gently. And watch out lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. We all need the Lord's restoration. And to experience that in full, we all need each other. Well, Perhaps I can come again at another time and, and finish this psalm, but for now our time is, is finished. And as we prepare for the, the Lord's Supper right now, I hope in some fashion that the Spirit of God has used some of these stories and some of my simple words to inspire you to stay close to Jesus. He is the Good Shepherd, and there is no one like Him. Not in the past, not in the present. There will never be anyone like Jesus. You can trust Him. He is good, and He is powerful, and He is loving, and He cares for you so much. He sees all your hurts, and He sees all the wounds that you inflict upon yourself, and He sees all your fears, and all your worries, and all your struggles. He sees it all, and He loves you through it all. And if you entrust yourself into His care, He will bring you His peace. So my friend, turn to Him now in your heart. Now, David said in the latter part of the psalm, you prepare a table before me. And isn't it interesting, one of the ways in which we describe communion is the Lord's table. And whenever I take communion, which is a, a commemoration of thanksgiving and remembering all the goodness of God for me, one of the things I, I ask myself is, is do, I, do I realize the full cost that the Lord has paid to bring me to this table? Do I appreciate all that he has done for me? God looked down upon this sorrowing, suffering, sinful humanity, moved with compassion for this wayward, sheep-like people he had made, and in spite of the tremendous personal cost that it would entail to deliver us from this, Jesus decided to pay that cost. He set aside his glory, he set aside his power, he's, he set all that aside that he had to come to earth and to suffer for us. That meant 
that he would suffer terrible privation and terrible adversity and ridicule and false accusations. The worst that the mob could throw at you. But he did it all for us. It is the greatest example of sacrifice that you and I will ever know. When Jesus said that, the, that he is the good shepherd would lay down his life for the sheep, he meant it. 